Hello, welcome to I3 Ears, your ophthalmology OCAP Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these episodes are meant for medical education, not to diagnose any weird things on anybody's eyes. We're a resident and now a fellow who figured that reviewing for OCAPs, the boards, and clinic is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, we review a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. This week, we are continuing our foray into the metabolic disorders. We'll call this part two with the sphingolipidoses. Actually, should we call it part two? I don't know what order you're going to release these in. Yeah, well, I'll probably release the other one first, so we can call this part deux en français. Okay. Yeah. Oh, part deux. Fancy. Um, ben, what the hell is a sphingolipid? God, I was going to ask you. Uh, okay. The, <laughs> it turns out nobody really knew what they were. In the end, it turns out that they're very important in signal transduction and cellular recognition. You'd think that that would be important in every cell everywhere in the body, but seems like they have most of their impact on neural tissue. And by extension, the eye is an extension of the brain. So there you go. We've got lots of eye problems with these sphingolipidoses. And when I mentioned that nobody really knew what they did at first, actually the root of the word sphingo, it really derives from its mysterious nature, as these were actually named after the mysterious sphinx of huh. Egyptian fame. I did not know that. Uh, neither did I until I tried appealing to the internet for an answer. <laughs> All right, let me ask you a riddle. What is the inheritance uh. pattern of the sphingolipidoses? Okay, just like for the last metabolic disorder episode, all of the ones we'll talk about are autosomal recessive, except, again, for fabulous Fabry's disease. So to, if, um, if you didn't listen yeah, to the episode... Yeah, no, just if you didn't listen to the episode, to, to uh, help you remember the mnemonic, it is a fabulous hunter, so fabulous for Fabry's Hunter for Hunters, which was reviewed in the last episode about mucopolysaccharidoses, are X-linked because the hunter has a crossbow, and the cross is like an X. The fabulous hunter. The fabulous hunter. Right. Okay. So just as a broad overview for the sphingolipidoses, and unfortunately, we have to keep it at that. Now, we'll talk about um, like four different specific sphingolipidoses soon, but the one time when this shows up in like more of the narrated form in the BCSE, it lists a couple ocular signs, um, ocular manifestations, but it doesn't specify which sphingolipidoses these things happen in. So across the whole spectrum of sphingolipidoses, there are the following. In about a quarter of the cases of sphingolipidoses, there will be periorbital edema, there is also posterior spoke-like cataract in about half right. the cases. Not not posterior subcapsular, but posterior spoke-like cataracts. Precisely. Um, there are conjunctival aneurysms in 60% of these things. And I actually kind of remember, Ben, you had a mnemonic at some point. Sofa. For, sofa. Yeah. yeah. Sofa. sofa. Was this part of that? Or the so. aneur- Yeah. For uh, aneurysms or telegenctasis. Yeah. The F is yeah, Fabry's. Yeah. And so yeah, far, there you go. To, to, okay, if if okay. you just you don't have to go back to our sickle cell episode, the S was sickle cell, O was Osler, Weber, Rando, F was Fabry's, and A was ataxia telangiectasia. So those are the causes of conjunctival aneurysms, among which Fabry's nice. is the cause. 
And then the other characteristic thing is there are corneal changes, specifically verticillata. And this is really just these world patterns, world like lines in a whirly pool thing that kind of swirl around. Really, they're actually located in the epithelium, in the more of the basal layers of the epithelium. And you can get these not just with the sphingolipidoses. In particular, really, you'll find that we're talking about Fabry's again. Fabry's? Fabry's? Sorry to Dr. Fabry. Fabry? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you'll find them in certain medications, too, like chloroquine toxicity. um, Most specifically, amiodarone uh, therapy can do it for sure. Do you want the nine demonic for for Tisolata? Yeah, hit me. Okay. This is my, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch. Um, but the one I like is facts in, like get your facts in. So F is Fabry's, A is amiodarone, C is chloroquine or, or hydroxychloroquine, you know, Plaquenil. That's kind of the more commonly used form now, but you can remember chloroquine. T is tamoxifen or, um, thioridazine. That's, there's those like two things for T, tamoxifen and thioridazine. S is for, forgive me, subconjunctival gentamicin. Uh, yeah, I know. For, forgive me. For, I was like, "What do I have to forgive you for?" <laughs> yeah, you yeah, owe me everything now. <laughs> I I is indomethacin, and then N is um, like other NSAIDs. So I N is like both NSAIDs, but but yeah, those are like some of the causes. I hopefully you can remember. Yeah, you can N can be naproxen, or just remember NSAIDs in general. I mean, you know, don't go too crazy. But those are the causes for dyslexia. And can I share one more fun fact? Yes. Yeah, so the the reason for Tisselata happened is because it traces the path of the um, limbal stem cells. So this is a depositional thing. So Fabry's uh, deposited product is, uh, what was it called? Uh, Ceramide trihexidase, which we'll cover in a bit. But it deposits in certain limbal stem cells around the cornea. And as those stem cells progress through the cornea, it leaves a track of that deposit material and as things kind of come across the dome surface, it'll eventually whirl, just like the back of your head. The, um, if, if you have short hair, your hair will whirl. It whirls in the same pattern. Um, and so that's why you get this kind of whirl-like pattern on, on the cornea. And it's the same with amiodarone or any of these other medications. They deposit in the, the limbal stem cells, and you'll, you're basically seeing the track as it whirls across the, the cornea. Hmm. So it's like the Palisades of Voigt are like little printer, inkjet printer heads. Precisely. I like that. Yeah. And they're printing. Yeah. And then as it prints, it kind of whirls across the cornea. So the textbook also mentions a couple other things that happen in sphingolipidoses. They don't really give like percentage or incidences of them. But you can also have papilledema, retinal or macular edema, optic atrophy, or retinal vascular dilation. So you you can see optic nerve problems and retinal problems, but the most famous of the retinal problems has got to be the cherry red spot, which even medical students learn about, first-year med students. Okay, so the cherry red spot is actually, the actual cherry red spot in the very center is actually the normal part of the retina. The What actually is different is that the retina around it is white or more white or 
um, yeah, it's essentially more white. So, you know, the, the, this can happen for a number of reasons. With these conditions, it happens because of deposition of material into the retinal ganglion cells. And as we remember from episode one, which was released 33 weeks ago, 34 weeks ago. Um, Hooray! Happy anniversary, Benjamin. Yay! Happy 34th week anniversary. The <laughs> ganglion cells stop at the paraphobia. So it leaves a center spot without ganglion cells. So the material won't deposit in the very center, which is why you see a normal center, which we call a cherry red spot, because it's the normal color of the fundus, and then the rest of it around it is appears more white. So it gives that kind of enhanced appearance of that central cherry red spot. Now, over time, this will disappear as the retinal ganglion cells that have this excess abnormal material die. Um, and then that can lead to the optic atrophy, which Andrew just discussed, because remember, the optic nerve is just a continuation of the retinal ganglion cells. So one thing that tells you is that looking for a chair red spot is not a sensitive finding, i.e. if you're consulted by a pediatrics team to evaluate for a cherry red spot, just because you don't see it does not rule out the condition. They should still do whatever else they would do to evaluate for only sphingolipidosis. And just as a side note, you know, you also see a cherry red spot famously in a central retinal artery occlusion. That's because the inner retina is dying in that case. So the inner retina will swell and, and become white in that case. And the very center of the retina is still perfused by the choroid. So you can just see the cherry red spot in that case. I do want to like back up one quick more time. And actually, maybe I should have put this in at the beginning. Sorry. But sphingolipidoses really are, again, problems in lysosomes again where again these um, enzymes that we you should have aren't present so they can't break down certain things and it turns out what the heck are sphingolipidoses what do they do they uh, allow the accumulation of weird lipids and these lipids are really kind of um, they just call them sphingolipids because they're you kind of unique to the lysosome environment so that's why you're not really used to hearing about sphingolipids in any other context. Um, just like the mucopolysaccharidoses, these are also problems in the lysosome. So this is technically another kind of lysosomal storage disorder. But instead of glycosaminoglycan buildup, carbohydrate buildup, these are sphingolipidoses buildups, so lipid buildups. Okay. All right. So we're just going to so, talk about four diseases again. That's it. Yeah. There's other ones, but again, pray with us, friends, that they won't we won't be quizzed on them because they, yeah, just just pray with us. Okay, <laughs> those four are Neiman Pick disease. Hello. Do it. Do it. I'm not trading off. Oh, all of me. Switching okay. with you. I'm not helping carry <laughs> your you burden. Going... <laughs> uh... <laughs> the plaintive hello. So much spoken. Yeah, Neiman Pick right, disease. Fine. What else? Neiman Pick disease. A horrible disease. Um. The systemic problems are really can be very severe, and in certain versions of it, like Neiman Pick disease type A, uh, almost nobody survives past young childhood. That's because they have terrible CNS problems. They can have um, a lot of uh, ataxia, dysarthria. They have ab like abdominal organ distension, like hepatosplenomegaly. Again, you have problems in bone marrow and even this weird thing um where you can laugh and then spontaneously lose all your muscle tone called gelastic cataplexy uh that is 
possibly seen in Neiman Pick disease. All that's really to kind of flesh out for you if a question stem lists a bunch of weird sounding symptoms and you don't pick up on the fact that there's a cherry red spot there. Hopefully you still get that it's Neiman Pick disease. But the main characterizing thing as far as an ophthalmologist is more concerned with looking at the eyes, there's going to be a cherry red spot half the time. This is Fabry's disease. Wait, 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 wait. We haven't talked about the enzymatic deficiency yet. Oh, God. Okay. The enzyme deficiency is sphingomyelinase. So you don't have sphingomyelinase. That means sphingomyelin builds up to give you Neiman Pick disease. And honestly, I can't remember why I remember this from step one, but I always associated sphingo with picking your nose. And maybe some of the rest of you, that's going to evoke bad memories from long ago but as long as their memories go with it that doesn't apply in most other life circumstances yeah, we, we encourage you to recover your traumatic experiences with previous board exams to succeed oh on this goodness. one we're gonna get in so much trouble Fabry's disease <laughs> yeah we don't have disease. a boss you want a refund Here, here's your refund Fabry's disease um Oh, it's got this fancy term, angiokeratoma corporis diffusum. I haven't really ever seen that, like, like Neither have I. in that sense, but, you know, at least you've heard it now. Angiokeratoma corporis diffusum. That's just in case a question stem gives you everything you've ever heard about the fabulous hunter or whatever, and the word Fabry disease is nowhere in the question, yeah. multiple choice. Yeah. Uh, so angiokeratoma corporis diffusum, just in case. So what's the uh, enzyme that they're lacking, Ben? Alpha-galactosidase A, and you have a hot mnemonic for us. Right. So everybody, this fabulous hunter thing has you in the uh, has you in the bent of remembering Faber's disease with fabulousness. So I remember it as the fabulous galactic alpha male. So everything's a little over the top. The alpha is alpha-galactosidase. The galactic is, it's the only one of the ones we're concerned about that has galacto as a prefix. Um, so fabulous galactic alpha male. Alpha-galactosidase A for Fabry's disease. Fabulous. But I don't have a good mnemonic to remember what builds up without alpha-galactosidase A. What is it that gets built up, Ben? It's ceramide trihexidase. Trihexoside, sorry. Trihexosidase, yeah. So I don't know how to remember that, but I know where that build build up uh, byproduct ends up. It just ends up accumulating in your cardiac and your renal systems. So you have a lot of um, renal problems, and as well as problems all over your vascular endothelium. And you also get those angiokeratomas that the other mystery name is named for. So in Faber's disease, you actually have skin lesions. And those skin lesions are, again, the actual sphingolipids accumulating within your blood vessels, essentially. And um, and we talked before about conjunctival aneurysms, i.e. conjunctival telangiectasias. It's the same thing, but mm. on the conjunctiva. It's yeah, vascular yeah. endothelium. Okay. Goucher's disease. Or gauche? Gauche? Gaucher? 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 Well, gauche should be French, right? So it'd be, it's either gaucher or goucher, I think. Yeah, let's, uh, let's investigate here, Dr. Goucher. Tell me your secrets. All right, you can, um, you can like, talk. Gauche. Oh, here we yeah, go. It's, like it, it is, it's gaucher. 
Let's go she. Okay, go she. That actually is helpful because I know the word gauche really means like, you know, off color or kind of uh, embarrassing. It also means left. Uh, Well, take that, all you lefties out there. I mean, that's a a thing Um, though, like multiple cultures where left, you know, is associated with a bad thing. Like what is it in Italian? Like sinistra, isn't it? uh, I thought, yeah, I thought that was Latin. Oh, is that Latin? Okay. Well, what's the difference? (laughs) Uh, yeah, Rome is pretty close. This could help, though. The whole concept of gauche, gauche's disease, being kind of, you know, <laughs> the ugly stepchild. The enzyme is beta-glucosidase. So unlike the fabulous Fabry with the alpha male galactosidase A, gauche disease, gauche disease, is the embarrassing, we don't talk about this child, beta-glucosidase that makes you build up glucocerebroside. Um, the ocular symptoms for Gaucher's disease are actually a little more unique um, as far as, you know, distinct from the rest of what we've talked about in this episode. Just having pingrecula and conjunctival pigment isn't that, you know, exotic you might imagine, but you haven't heard it yet, have you, in this episode? So Gaucher's disease, they have pingrecula, conjunctival pigment, but then they also have Paralytic strabismus, problems with saccades, even RPE degeneration. Yeah, that stuff is more unique to Gaucher's disease. Cool. All right, why don't you close us out with the hex, Ben? Yeah, Tay-Sachs disease. Um, you know, one thing that another thing, one that was actually covered in uh, at medical school and such. You know, this is classically associated with for those of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. Um, the enzyme deficiency is in hexo, sorry, hexosamina, oh boy, hexosaminidase, which leads to an accumulation of GM2 gangliosides. And, you know, unfortunately, this is typically a fatal disease. They usually pass as a uh, child. Yeah, and Tay-Sachs is cherry red spots. So we kind of end things. So the sphingolipidoses, which have cherry red spots, are Neiman picks and Tay-Sachs. And the sphingolipidoses that have corneal clouding, they are Neiman picks and Fabries, although Fabries really is just the verticillata, and I guess that counts. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I guess it's a summary. We talked about the four major sphingolipidoses that affect the eyes. That's Neiman picks, which has a deficiency in sphingomyelinase, uh, which leads to the buildup of sphingomyelin has a cherry red spot, and can have corneal clouding. We talked about Fabry's disease, which has a deficiency in alpha-galactosidase A, which leads to buildup of ceramide-trihexoside. I'm trying to give you listeners a pause so you can try to answer the question yourself. Oh, thank God. I was like, I hope he's not expecting me to talk. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're good. You're, you, you've passed the test already, but dear listener, have you? We'll find out. Um, and Fabrice is X-linked, has those contractile aneurysms and verticillata. There's Gaucher disease, whose enzyme deficiency is beta-glucosidase, which leads to a buildup of glucocerebroside. And they can have contractile pigmentation, paralytic strabismus, RPE degeneration. And Tay-Sachs disease has an enzyme deficiency of hexosaminidase, and accumulation of GM2 gangliosides. And they have a cherry red spot as well. And those, that's all we have for this week. 
If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. We have a website also at Eyes4Ears.com with the number four also. If you'd like to support the podcast, then be giving us a like or review on Twitter or wherever you find your podcast is very helpful. All right. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you guys later. Yeah, see you next yeah. time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.